Welcome to the Theatre of Others podcast. My name is Adam Marple, and I'm the co-artistic director of the Theatre of Others. With the COVID-19 pandemic forcing a shutdown and re-evaluation of space and gathering, we at the Theatre of Others are thinking about what stories we need and how best we can share them. We believe space is psychology, and it informs the way in which an audience interacts and reacts to what is presented to them. We create uniquely theatrical events in bespoke sensory performance spaces crafted to encourage curiosity and grant the audience permission to commune with the play. Now that that space has moved online, how can we encourage interaction and action amongst an audience virtually? The Theatre Brothers produces plays that both welcome and challenge the audience. We are committed to international collaboration and are a laboratory that helps artists grow through intensive study of their craft. On the podcast today, joining from Melbourne, Australia, are Booty Miller, co-artistic director of the Theatre of Others, and myself in Puebla, Mexico. The Theatre of Others creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purpose of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and times. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary, and they are witness to what happens. And you get to be witness to us making that happen. The purpose of this podcast is to open up our process and let you in. We're peeling back the curtain, so to speak, and encouraging you to follow along, to ponder, prod, and question, to join us and criticize us if need be. Being a witness is no passive task, and it requires much from you. Are you up for the journey? Adam. Hi, Booty. How you doing? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? I'm really good. Really good. I'm You're really great. good, yeah. And it's not because of the weather. Okay. And it's not because of Obama. <laughs> oh my God, we're going to talk about something else. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> we got the vaccine today. Our first vaccination was an old lady named Jane. thanks jane she got the vaccination and then a couple more people got the vaccination and then our prime minister got the vaccination i can't and and it really became it was interesting because i had a release like a big release my shoulders fell i started breathing deeply and then I just started crying. It was like emotional. You know, we work so hard here, as you know. Mm. We've we've been kind of documenting, you know, what we've been going through <laughs> here in Australia. But like, yeah. like to see that like image and all the excitement from the uh, state premieres all around about the vac, but the vaccine being here. But mm. just seeing the prime minister be vaccinated and just remembering how much work. He's done, and mm. we have done, mm-hmm. and our state premiers have done, and all all the and it just like culminated all the hard work that we did collectively in that one jab in his arm to just release like oh wow okay that is actually the image of the future <laughs> you know what I mean yeah, yeah that's yeah, the image yeah. of the future it's like oh my god like no more panic in that over over a pandemic it's it's it was just it was it was so. It felt like what it would possibly feel like when you saw that Nazi Germany ended. You know what right. I mean? Like it just like all that pent up energy and trauma. And thank God it was only a year. Can you imagine yeah, having it for right. four years? Right. Three yeah. years, even two years, another year of pandemic in the way we did it last year. I would just, I don't know how to survive. I don't know how I would survive, you know, and what that, what that would feel like, 
you know, and then a combination of that. And also I've been doing my Brene Brown. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, just working on that vulnerability stuff and looking at shame mm-hmm. and looking at guilt and looking at judgment and looking like all these like all these words and what the uh, actual uh, behavior around those those experiences are like like yeah. what I love about her work is that she's like a petri dish. It's like shame. Like if you put shame in a petri dish and you feed it silence, it starts to grow. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you feed a, a one element some sugar and it does this and it crystallizes. And, and it's the same thing for th- this behavioral science around it. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. oh, that's why. Oh, one of the things that I, one of the things I learned, which was really cool, is that like um, 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 judgment, you know, when you judge somebody and you and you start to ridicule, it's actually a, it's it's connected to um one we are I, this is something i already knew it's connected to things that we don't like about ourselves mm-hmm. but actually when those those moments when we go fuck you're just a fucking that it's actually a release so when mm-hmm. people start to judge and and it's it's a release that the body needs to to have around the thing and so you can't actually connect to the words that the release is con- that the release is attached to you just have to understand, like, because I in the in the old day, in the old days, which was like a few days ago, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I realized that, like, because you know, I, I consider myself to be pretty empathetic, and so, like, when people say shit that, like, is fucked up, and it's, it, but then I I realized, oh, I, it happened to me like recently. I was like, oh, but you're just actually just releasing your mm. your judgment on this person or this situation or these ideas is a release because you're dealing with some other shit that's going on. And I think the other thing, Adam, for the whole Brene, you know, posse, um, is that you start to really accept that no one is perfect Mm. and that the people in your lives don't know what the fuck they're doing either. (laughs) And to give them any kind of power to that they know that they that they know what they're doing and that they know yeah, yeah. proper human behavior that they know exactly how to care for you that's why boundaries are so fucking important for us mm. you know as people so people know how to treat you if you don't have the proper boundaries up people won't know how to actually care for you and because every single one of us is fucking incomplete you know we're still figuring it out and then when you connect to like everyone is battling with this concept of vulnerability and the exposure of what they think vulnerability is going to do, it just, I mean, I am flying like a kite. And because I've been listening to, let me find, I'm just going to find it right now because I'm listening to, I'm listening to this audio book. Uh, uh, it's called The Power of Vulnerability, y'all. Brene Brown, it's an old one. It's an old one. The Power of Vulnerability. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's like what it is. It's just like different sessions of classes that she's had. And so you can like just listen to one session on, on one of the things that she's working on. And it's, I listened to it while I walk Obama. And it's like, it's, I'm feeling great, man. And, and having the vaccine. And it's, it's, I'm just feeling release. And also, you know, it was it was actually his birthday last week and he had a pandemic birthday. But this week we're open, you know, after our five day lockdown, the circuit breaker. Yeah. And yeah. so now my, my, my husband can have a proper birthday, but they messed up his cake. <laughs> 
Well, it's it's the opposite of what we were talking about last week. We actually have hope now. There's hope. There at least there's there's hope in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's hope in Australia, y'all. And look, for those of you who are feeling hopeless and are still fighting the shit, I apologize. I'm just no, trying no, to no, say no. that there is there is a way out. We're we're getting out of this, y'all. We're getting think, out I, of this. I think it's okay to celebrate the victories where they're happening. You know, the dysfunction in other places or the, mm. the non-rollout in other places or those things. I think if 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 you can't celebrate somebody else's good fortune, then that's something that's wrong with you. That there's something that you need to look at, you know, as as Brene Brown would say, that that mm. that's your own fault. That's your own fault. And and I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think the podcast is fantastic. Um, I mentioned it before that I was on the – I'm way behind where you are on it, but I was listening to the two-part series on forgiveness or asking <laughs> – or, or how to apologize, how to apologize and how to accept an apology. And I realized that mm. I've, been, I've been holding on to needing to hear an apology from some people. And realizing that I'm never going to get it, and that just just holding on to that thinking of like, well, mm-hmm. they never said they they never said they're sorry, um, and going, wow, that why <laughs> why do I need that? Why do I need that thing? I've walked away. They've walked right. away. The the bridge has been burned. Why do I also need a sorry on top of that? <laughs> and, and it's like, well, they, but look at the facts. They never said sorry. So if they never said sorry, do you think they're going to say sorry tomorrow? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, and, and and who cares? Why why would I need that? I don't like that person. I don't respect that person anymore because they never said sorry in the first place. Um, so yeah. why do I need that? Yeah. But it, but it's it's really great to kind of hear that and reiterate that and realize you know take that into my own relationship with with my girlfriend mm-hmm. as well of like of mm-hmm. how to how to apologize without de- defense, how to non defensively, you know, but to actually legitimately say okay. How do we move forward from this? How do we, how do we, you know, not necessarily get past this, but, you know, I recognize the thing that I've done. Um, you know, it's, it's that, it's that old thing of that what happens when, when white people talk to, to people of color of saying, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Nope. That's not, that's not an apology. That is not an apology. <laughs> it, no, I'm sorry for the thing I did. I did not mm. mean to do that thing. Um, I would never want to do that thing again. And I'm so sorry that you are hurt by my action. Mm. There's your apology. Full stop. Period. No need to say I'm sorry. You're. I'm sorry. You're hurt. I'm sorry. Mm. You're well, hurt. That, oh, okay. That's that's what <laughs> what Brene calls. That's what she's talking about. The difference between empathy and sympathy. Yeah. So she yeah, talks yeah. about, and this is y'all. You gotta get on the power of vulnerability, y'all. <laughs> so she talks about this. So imagine, so imagine that there's like this pit, right? Uh, for some reason, Aaron the Moore and Titus Andronicus just came came into my head. But mm-hmm. imagine there's a pit, right? And inside the pit is your friend who needs help. Empathy is you go down in there, but you know you have a way out. But you go down there mm-hmm. and you say, I'm down here with you. Yeah. And you're ready, ready to get out. I'll show you where I, how I got down here with you. Yeah. That's empathy. Yeah. Sympathy is you stay up at the edge of the, <laughs> the, um, the pit and you go, oh, I really hate that for you. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, wow. It must be really cold down there. How'd you get down there? Well, I'd hate to be in your situation. That's really bad for you. That's sympathy. 
So if you ever want to know if someone is being empathetic or sympathetic in your life, that's how you do it. Oh, 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 there's one more. There's one more. She talks about, she talks about like those people that don't want empathy and they only want sympathy. And she was talking about like in, in like therapy situations of like, oh yeah, my life is so fucking fucked. Like everything just comes, comes away. And then it's, the therapist is like, well, that must be really hard for you. Well, of course it's hard for me. Everything's hard for me. Like you're actually, they don't want you to yeah. empathize with you. They want to yeah. spin in a story on the edge of the pit with They want to hold on to that pain. They want to hold on to that pain because that's all they have. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and it's and I think empathy is really about and that and it's like also that you cannot be empathetic with somebody one without boundaries, and two, without letting your pain that you've gone through in your life show you that you can make it through this person's pain while they're having it, mm-hmm. and out and and out of just being in the pit with them and letting them figure it out. That's all you need to do. Sometimes people just need a human being sitting in the shit with them and saying, yeah, it's really stinky here. Huh? Yeah. it fucking sucks. It feels like, it feels like waiting for God though. Right. Just yeah. sitting in it. Right. Yeah. So how long you been waiting? Well, I don't know. Well, one day we'll get out of here together, but at least I have someone that is empathizing with me. Misery loves company. (laughs) (laughs) And the light loves the light. And I think and I think that's a really great segue into It's a great segue. (laughs) Into what we're gonna talk about today. (laughs) It is, yeah. (laughs) What are we talking about today, Adam? We're back in playwright land after another cycle of these things. And um it's a it's a statement, it's a quote, it's a question uh, that uh, (laughs) should be asked by every artist. But almost kind of answers itself if you're act- if you're even asking this question, then you almost have the answer. Should I be telling this story? Who should be telling this story? So um, mm. who who is allowed to speak for whom? Um, mm. there's, there's a lot of investigation around that in the last uh, couple of years, and that's a really interesting and a powerful thing for an artist to actually ask themselves: Who should be telling this story? Should I be telling the story? I feel hot already. Yeah. The heat of that is like, oh, you know, I think it's all about how before the who. The how and the why, I think we'll we'll investigate the who. (laughs) 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 Oh, okay. Well, I think think what we need to do is we need to take a break and then come back and have a chat about this because I think that's really hot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So, um, uh, Purple Planet, would you do us a favor? Um, I feel like the genie, you know, when she goes, she she, like crosses her arms and she wiggles her nose and the music goes, dink a dink a dink. That's how I feel about Purple Planet. I'm turning to Purple Planet. Wait, wait, you you have just made a reference that none of our listeners know. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Did you just call me old, y'all? He just no, called me. I old. know it as well. I know it as well. I'm just guaranteeing okay. you that nobody right. who we who is listening to this podcast knows what re- what you're referencing right now. I dream of genie. I dream of genie was what a 1950s 1960s TV show. Nin- 1960s TV show. If, if for Samantha. any of you who are out there, yeah. So for any of you who are watching WandaVision, they they copied <laughs> I Dream of Genie in an episode. So that's a cultural reference that you might be able to tie into this. It's the 1960s TV show about a genie named Samantha. So 
I do remember Jeannie, Samantha. Samantha the Good Witch. No, no, Samantha was was in Bewitched. Jeannie was on I Oh, Jeannie. shit. Oh, fuck. So also, same... a, also a WandaVision reference as well. <laughs> okay, so you need to watch these two shows. You need to watch I Dream of Jeannie, and you have to watch Bewitched. Those, yeah. it's, so Bewitched is Samantha and uh, Darren. Yeah, and the in the she was the Samantha was a good witch, and she had a she had an evil or a, a naughty sister or cousin, Tabitha. I don't. I don't oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. I was, okay. I was those are the witches, the, but we need yeah. to go to the genies. Yeah. So the genie is, what's the genie's name? I think it was just genie. I don't know. I don't, I really was don't it remember. genie. Oh God! I'm so glad the times have changed. They were real <laughs> fucking creative, genie. No, yeah, I'm sure. J J E A N I E. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> and of course, the genie in the bottle. We're not even going to go into the references of what that actually means. Having yeah. a woman in a bottle, you rub it and she appears. Yeah. yeah so yeah. the genie in the bottle, um, that was that was discovered by this military officer. Yeah. That became his essentially genie slave, and then he yeah. married her. Yeah. Oh, the man! I'm out. now. When I think about it, it's not what I'm thinking. <laughs> now, when I actually go down the fucking horrible story, <laughs> talking about who should be telling the motherfucking story, yeah, you, you know. Go. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think Purple Planet should just take it away. Purple Planet, just take it away. Keyword: Planeta. that mortal coil like intense huh (laughs) (laughs) coming out of that one yeah i'm just not coming out of it after that break uh so today 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 we are talking about do i have what is it permission the right to tell this story Either one. I mean, I think it's more. Who can more tell of a the right. story? Who should who tell, can the, tell story? the story? Who, sh- who can tell the story? Who should tell the yeah. story? Do I have? Do I have the right so, to tell this story? With that, well, what, I think I think what we need to look at is what story we want to tell first, right? Yeah. Because I think if we just kind of go broad and go, well, am I allowed to write a white person's storyline? Um, is this white person allowed to write a black person's storyline? Is this? Uh, cis, uh, white, heterosexual male allowed to write this trans female of color storyline. I think what it boils down to is something we always talk about. Dramaturgy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we should stretch out into that, don't you think? Before we even get into rights of telling a story. Yeah. I think I think st- st- the starting place of why which is where I always start anyway with any project is why why do this because the why will lead to the what and the how. 
normally people like to start with the how. They just want to go straight to structure, and they they bypass the the thing of going like, why do you want to? Why do you? Why do you, white cisgender male, want to t- want to tell this story? Ooh, yes. You know, and and there's the rub. You know, again, is mm. is why why do you want to tell this story? And then mm. once you once you've answered that, you can move into the okay. Then then what stories are you going to tell in that respect? And then how how's the best way you're going to be able to tell that story? So mm. should 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 I or should shouldn't I is is kind of I think answered along that process. But that process mm-hmm. has got to be gone through, and that's the dramaturgical process too. Yeah. Yeah. So the why? Why do you want to tell a story? I think. <laughs> Wow, that that hits so many levels, right? Mm. It hits so many levels because you know because a, a big thing that's happening, which is great, is representation. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, why do you want to tell this story about uh, an Asian person and cast a white person as an Asian? Yeah, yeah. Why do you want to? Why do you want to tell this story? What is what is in this story that you need to tell? Because I think that that why helps you become empathetic with yeah. the characters. I think the best playwrights are the ones that have empathy for every single character they're writing. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you have you have to be in love with every single one of them to write them effectively. Yeah. You have to yeah. see it from all their points of view. You know wh- why. Why do you want to take this classic Chinese tale that is beloved by people all over the world um, and take it out of its context and put it in a context for a white audience or, uh, you know, insert any other, any other group in there? Why, why do you want to do that? And as soon as you get into that depth, you know, you, you dive in deep of going, well, like, well, I really love this thing. And, but, but why do you love it? Don't you love it in its cultural context? Don't you love it in how you came about it and you want to take it out of that thing? Okay, why? It's not a no. It's still not a no. It's a why. It's a constant why. Why is it going to be made better with you doing it this way? Why That's, Why it, you doing it? I, you, know, you know, what just dropped in for me was like, you know, what we were talking about before the break, the difference between empathy and sympathy. Mm-hmm. Em- Pathetic question asking and, and sympathetic question asking, asking. The why hits me in an empathetic place, but what are you doing that for? It hits me in a uh, um, uh, uh, sympathetic place. You know, yeah, what do you, yeah. what do you, what do you, you know, because if I, if I hear someone, if someone asks me, so why, so why did you do that? Oh, why? Well, this is the reason why. Like, I, I actually have to investigate my inner life. Yeah. Why makes me investigate my inner worlds? But when somebody says what, it makes me look outside of myself at the thing. Yeah. And and it and it automatically becomes an objective response. Right. To fulfill um the answer to the question. And you and you have to be really careful I think because a lot of times we answer a why, we answer a why with a what. Why did you do mm. that? Well, what I was trying to do was No, 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 no. Mhm. I asked you why you did that, and you just said what I was trying to do. Like you've already moved past the why, right? We try and answer it by saying, "Here's what I did." 
but you we never get to that point of going why and because it is we're we are much it's so much easier to go into sympathy than to go into empathy it's that's the hard work right that's the thing of going mm. why i did this i don't know if i have an answer to that i don't know if i've investigated mm. that fully i why think a lot I of tell story? young a lot of young theater makers and artists in new york city and around the world <laughs> Mm-hmm. Don't investigate the why. You know, we've no. had this conversation many times of like, how? Why no, the how fuck is... are they? Do... Yeah. <laughs> so, like... so, so enamored with how. Yeah. 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 And why? That, that goes into that conversation we had uh, a long time ago about like, you know, looking at, you know, censorship laws like in Singapore. Mm-hmm. That's the first question. Why? <laughs> why do you want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> why? You know, yeah. and then and why do you want? Why does this scene need nudity? Yeah. Why do you want a homosexual play? And it's it's like and and what happens is, in a country that's you know uber conservative and has you know old archaic outdated laws around homosexuality, um, it's and even and even women's rights, um, it's it's there's still there's still room to wiggle in to the public space when you can properly answer the why. Yeah. And I think that because the why naturally makes everyone empathetic. That's, and I, y'all, this is, I, I just realized this in this conversation. This is not something that I've been like developing over the years. Just this conversation has popped open for me because the, the, cause, because language has energy. Mm. And because mm-hmm. language has energy, the qu- and then you know this is what uh, I always say to actors is really ask those questions. You know we have these question marks in in, in the text. Really ask the question. Yeah. Don't answer it. Don't don't give it a rhetorical question. Yeah. <laughs> that means you already know the answer. Yeah. But when you really ask the question, there's something that happens to us organically as human beings because we're pack animals, where the person who hears the question really hears the question because the question has really been asked we naturally lean in and energetically feel like we are responsible to answer the question so then what happens is because you're in the room with the person who's asked the question they can continue to either ask another question or answer the question or talk around the question, but it's 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 activated the 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 listening and receiving of the information of your audience. Mm. So, as a, a writer, when you look at the why first, it gives you the courage to touch places that may not be nice, Mm -hmm. that may not be comfortable. Like, I was... uh, T.J., what is it, T.D. Jakes? When I was uh, reading T.D. Jakes' book on on Instinct, and he was talking about... he, He talks about these things. Look at the things that make you passionate. And the passion may be discussed. Like for me, example, I really hate racism. (laughs) I really hate misogynistic behavior. I really hate homophobia, transphobia. I really hate violence against children. 
I really hate violence against animals. I hate it. Like, it gets me going. My guts just go. I, it's funny because I'll turn into, like, like you know, me, like, Miss Balenciaga, click, 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 clack, clack, clack. But when any of those core issues get get activated in me, I turn into the biggest fucking bloke you'll ever fucking meet. I puff mm-hmm. up into this giant beast, this fearless beast, to fight for these causes, to fight for these things. Mm-hmm. So looking at the things that really mean something to you, that's where you put your energy into. That's what you stand behind. And then you, and while you're doing that, you go, why am I telling this story? Okay. Now, why am I telling it in this way? And then why does this character need to be in this play? It makes me think of my colleague, Jane Harrison. She's a famous, famous Aboriginal playwright here in Australia, one of our most famous, most beloved playwrights um, and colleague of mine at the VCA. And she says, she was speaking to some of our students um, about uh, Aboriginal characters because they were working on um, writing uh, around uh, black life, black, excuse me, black deaths in custody here in Australia. And so they were doing like a Laramie project kind of writing around these subjects, you know, and it's a very diverse company of actors. We have Aboriginal students, we have white students, we have Asian students and, um, and the students as a, you know, they, they're so diligent and so respectful. Um, and they asked Jane this about like, how do we deal with the shame of writing these, aboriginal characters i don't know if i have the permission or should be allowed to write these characters and then she said if you don't write them they won't exist in your world if you're too afraid to write them in you've already written them out oh god yeah that one's for me because it reminds me of the you know sitting at the table if you're yeah, too yeah. afraid to write them in, you've already written them out, y'all. Mm. Mm. And we don't had so. And I'm speaking to all y'all people of color. I'm speaking to all y'all queer people. I'm speaking to all y'all non-binary people. I'm speaking to all y'all people that are not cisgendered heterosexual white men. And I'm also speaking to you, Adam, because I love you, baby. But I'm speaking <laughs> to y'all because we don't had them. Write our stories for how many fucking hundreds of years? Mm. We haven't had them tell tell the world what we're like, how we think, how we move, how we breathe for so many years, decades, centuries, <laughs> eons. Yeah, telling our story, but it's 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 important for us to look at why they were telling those stories and how they were telling them. Because in general, history becomes this, it becomes, it's, a, it's actually a power tool. It's a, it's a scepter. How do you think the British were so potent in their, in their colonization? Yeah. It was all about the language, all about the documenting, all about saying that our culture is the, is the viable culture. We were, we were looking at um, uh, the Tempest, a Tempest the other day, third years are working on it. Um, and uh, so one much of the colonialism who, in that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, one of the students is like, I find it very interesting that Caliban was a savage until he learned English. Yeah. It's in Shakespeare. Yeah. Good old Willie. So the natives of this land are savages until they learn 
the British language. Until you did but teach me your language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, uh, so we talked about the why. And, we, and I think that's a, that's a really great stepping stone. And I think now we, I think we need to talk about, I think we need to go even more subjective on who is writing the story. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's an, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing of, um, you, we, we still find these monologue books and these scene study books from the 80s and the 90s, those lovely things that mm. actors love to bring into rooms. And mm-hmm. you, look at any of the, you look at any of the David Mamet and the John Patrick Shanley and the, uh, you know, those kind of things. And it's like, ooh, boy, they really don't know how to write women very well, do they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, boy, these, these characters are all white and they all live in New York. And maybe <laughs> if there's any kind of ethnicity, they're Jewish, which is woo, mm. really ethnic for New York. Um, you know, not really. And, and so you get these, you get this, you get this idea, you get this um, view of the planet. If you if you'd come across drama books, if you'd come across scene books, you come across plays, you would think that the world looked like the Upper East Side. Mm-hmm. And that's not at all what the world is. The world is a very different shade. The world is made up of many different things, and it's not just that. And But those were the playwrights and those were the points of view that they had in their own bubble that they were writing for. And so that pre- that prevalent idea, that prevalent viewpoint spread out and propagated. And why don't you have any black people in your play? Why don't you have any transgender people in your play? Why don't you have any non-binary people in your play? Mm-hmm. Why don't you have any women in your play? Yeah. I mean, I mean, as, I, as far as I'm concerned, I think putting a woman in your play is probably the easiest one you could do. <laughs> it's 50% <clears throat> of the population. <laughs> more than 50. Aren't there more women than men? <laughs> it's, it's, it's about 53, 50, you know, 47. But not only is it, is it half the population, <laughs> it's about 70% of the theater population. It's about eighty yeah. percent of the theater population. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Stop it's writing like, roles. I mean, stop like writing roles a... for men. <laughs> I, it's like, and, it, and then you start to think about like the playwrights of like, oh, so you're afraid of women. That's why you don't write about them. Well, you're yeah. afraid of women, so you write about why why you're afraid of women, and why men should be afraid of women, and why there's no women in this room. <laughs> So then we go, oh, so you're afraid of black people. Oh, you're afraid of transgender people. Oh, you're afraid to actually be empathetic in that space and mm. that consciousness and that way of life. Looking out of those eyes, having those emotions, you know? And so I, I actually, I'm really into this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really into this conversation because, because, because we're, we're we're at the, we're at the this this we're in in the like kind of the uh, primordial ooze of the changing of of, of storytelling right now yeah. and yeah. on the planet yeah and and like because you know to be honest with you when I'm watching and I see new shows on Netflix I immediately gravitate to the ones that I haven't seen like characters that I haven't seen before. And ultimately, it's it's a woman of color. 
<laughs> Usually, if I like, that's always that's always I need to watch that show. Like, it's a woman of color. I, like, I, that's that Netflix. By the way, you put a woman of color on any of your ads, I'm automatically going to say yes. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> so, so why and who? I guess I not you know, it, it, and I don't want to be reductive. Like, you got to start off with the why, and then you go to the who, and then this is the what. You know, I I think you need to follow what feels right in your body. You know. Like these, these little, these little suggestions that have come up, have come up in an actual conversation that you have are now a part of. Um, So I think we should take a break. I think we're about due for it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about um, the, the challenges that a young playwright may have with storytelling and, 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 and telling people's stories mm-hmm. around the why and the who and who am I to be the one to write this and why do I need to put this in? So, um, and maybe we should, maybe we should bring up some, some, some playwrights that um, may be outside of the actual cultural vernacular of the worlds that they're writing in and look at how they approach it from, um, from their perspective and how we as audience um, receive these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. we don't, and because we don't have the playwrights with us, you know, this is, this is all, you know, speculative. I just want to put that out there. Y'all, yeah. we don't, we don't know shit. We're just vamping out here. Um, but to have a conversation <laughs> around um, playwrights and their characters and the worlds that, that um, transform us in the reading of them, watching them, experiencing their work, and or, or may not transform us because of that. Um, so let's come back and have a chat. Take it away, Purple Planet. back thank you purple planet thank you very much <laughs> so there's one playwright that i would just actually that I've, I've spoken of her many many times but i i but i really would like to look at um lynn nottage's intimate apparel mm-hmm. yeah because what I love about this play is it feels like a slice of life during that time. With the characters revealing their lives by, inter- by their relationships to each other, to survival, without pointing fingers at this is the reason why this is the reason why and this is the reason why but we we feel it through almost like an example of of the character so for example we have we have Esther uh uh the who uh Viola Davis originated the role but we 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 watch this we watch this the life of a uh uh, a black 
woman who's a seamstress. So essentially, she's an entrepreneur. And she makes her living being a seamstress for rich white women uh, and uh, has developed this relationship through the love of fabric with this acidic man. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a Caribbean man that sends her letters and that she falls in love with. You know what I mean? You know, we got, mm-hmm. we got that going on. And then, she, then there's, there's a, a, a mixed race woman uh, with, in the back of the day, we would call her mulatto, who's, the, you know, uh, quote, the pretty one, end quote, because she's not dark like Esther. She's light-skinned. She's got that curly hair. In an African-American uh, community, we would call that the good hair. She's got the good hair. You know, these are the things that, you know, the, all the politics around black hair. And, and you have this rich white woman who's having this fantasy friendship with her, which has, and has that warped Karen dynamic, <laughs> the warped white Karen dynamic, right? But without even, with, but without, without the violence, but actually looking at it from the sensual place where everything moves through this concept of the intimate apparel, making these women's um, underwear. And when you experience the play, I felt the worlds of every single one of the characters and the dilemmas that they that they have. Like Esther and the 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 Hasidic man finding this connection. Um which often happens in New York City where you like my landlord saw my old landlord Saul. Saul from New, Jer- New Jersey, and he was he was ascetic, and he talked like this. This is how Saul used to talk to me, and he was like, and he was he was the most kind man. Like we had had this, we had had a place just just before we moved into the place that Saul Saul and his brother, um, what was his brother's name? I can't remember his brother's name. Um, uh. where. Come on, Adam. Back off. I, I, <laughs> you don't know his name. So anyway, so no, no, like, no, no. Listen, listen. I'm, I'm going. I'm going somewhere, y'all. Listen, listen. I'm going somewhere. And they, they, they let us have the first two months rent for free because we had already had two months on our other, uh, other place. But they liked us and said, "Look, we like you. We'll give you the first two months free. Just pay us the deposit, and then you know when you're ready to move in, you move in." And that later became my studio. And, and then whenever I would talk to Saul, he was, he was, he was, I just, it, 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 I just felt this kinship with him, a kindness. But often what happens when walking through, you know, uh, Williamsburg, um, there's the, the, the large Hasidic population and the rumors, you know, it's like the, you don't exist because you're a Gentile and they don't look at you. And, and, and it, that was never my, the case when I was with Saul. And so to watch this 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 uh, friendship develop between Esther and what is the, oh God I can't remember the the Hasidic character's name uh, it'll come to me in a second, um, but they they had this relationship around the fabric, around the love for textiles and touching the fabric, and there's a moment where Esther reaches out and and she touches the Hasidic man, and he jerks away. 
And she says a line, something like, don't worry, it won't rub off on you. Meaning that she thought it was because of her black her blackness. He said, oh, no, 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 no. In my culture, I'm not supposed to touch anyone but my wife mm-hmm. and my children. I'm not supposed to touch a woman except for my wife and my children. And so the way that Lynn Nottage was able to deal with how we misunderstand each other mm-hmm. and how we misunderstand each other's um, actions and how we, as Americans, automatically go into race, especially as African-Americans, when dealing with white people, that the, the, the immediate response is race, but it actually wasn't race, comes out of her detail and care for why this relationship needed to be told. Mm-hmm. I feel like every single character in Intimate Apparel, every single character, their story needs to be heard. Because we we feel and and it's and the trauma that comes out of it is through memory trauma of of abuse and the trauma of unrequited love and the trauma of a culture of people that are improvising for survival and doing what works, but also having bad habits that get in the way you know and i think it falls into the other place where we were talking at the top of the podcast about vulnerability <laughs> you know what i mean yeah what's yours um clyborne park you know you remember you okay know i love that play yeah i know yeah, i love that play mm-hmm. written written by a white man Bruce mm-hmm. Norris, um, as a response to Lorraine Hansberry's Raisin in the Sun. And it's from the white family's point of view, mm-hmm. uh, on the other side of a gentrifying neighborhood in the 1950s, Act 1, and then Act 2 is, you know, 2000s, the opposite. Uh, and, you know, the neighborhood is... is uh, being bought up by white people. So the gentrification is coming in the other direction. And um, obviously there, there are characters in the play that are white. There are characters in the play that are African-American. Um, and highly, you know, not necessarily controversial, but highly controversial play, Pulitzer Prize winning play. I mean, it, it, it ruffled a lot of feathers and, and started a lot mm. of conversations when it came out, as it should. Um, that's a good why. <laughs> that's a good why, exactly. But 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 that thing of going, you know, I'm I cannot write the story of the youngers. I cannot write the story of the family and raising the son. But I can write the other. I can write the other half of this story that is not being told in Lorraine Hansberry's version, and I can come at it from a point of view that Lorraine Hansberry cannot come from, and still have, um, still have that conversation go on, um, because boy, you. You hate them, and then you love them, and you realize mm-hmm. they're going through some shit as well. And you know the son coming in the Korean War, and then in Act Two, he's he's gay, and you know it's, it's just there's so much that goes on there, and it humanizes everybody. Because mm. in Lorraine Hansberry's play, we only know the one white guy who's the what's he's the real estate agent, and he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like he's just he's mm-hmm. horrible. But we, we, we know that this white neighborhood, we know historically from redlining and all these things that the white neighborhood is not going to be welcoming to the younger family. Hmm. 
but we never actually get the story of that. So to see the other side of that humanizes both sides um, and cast them in in not black or white. Lit- no, no, I'm not talking racially. I'm talking like black or white shades of gray. Um, I really love that, and I and I actually watched uh, that production at Chautauqua. That, uh, that when, you were, when we were at Chautauqua, so that's that's what stuck. <laughs> that in my was mind. a good one. Yeah, that was yeah. a really good one. That was a really yeah, yeah. good one. <laughs> but look, I think I think for me with uh, Clavon Park, um, it's a it's a really good diagnostic on American racism. Yeah, yeah, through property value. And the the property the property lines, you know, the red zones and the the not red zones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and but I also think that if you look at Lorraine Hansberry's uh, A Raisin in the Sun versus Clyburn Park, they both are plays of their time. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because that was that needed that was what needed to be said during that time. Of course. And it still needed to be said, but it needed to be said in a different way during the time of Clive Park. I mean, and if you put and if you put a color museum in the in between those two, yeah, right. Because then we get we get uh, a gay man, a black gay man's perspective, yeah, of those worlds, and they become satire, yeah, right. And it's like, um. And then, it, and then, because of, because of the satire, it makes us lean in and and really look at the humanity. I mean, when you look at what RuPaul has done for television and for you know for queer rights around the world, just with a with a drag with a drag TV show, you know, a reality show, a game show, essentially it's a game, it's a competition game show, which is what he loves, you know. But also tapping into these are these are artists. They're not freaks. They're artists. This is artistry. You know, so why why is he telling that story? <laughs> because he sees he's for a, for a really long time he's seen that yeah you can actually have a drag queen that could be a good father to their children. Early on in in his you know in in his in his TV making for around uh, drag race you had you had drag queens that were parents. You know, and it's like, whoa, that's really pushing that's that, you know, and, and, you know, this season, my God, got Mick is, uh, I love, okay, y'all, if you're not watching, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We have to go here. Got Mick and, and, um, Simone, those are my girls and got Mick is a trans, trans male. He's amazing. And he, and he's, 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 his, his. Aesthetic and artistic taste is like, and he talks about like when I'm in drag, I I prefer that people call me a female because that's my that's what I'm impersonating. But when I'm you know when I'm out of drag, I'm a male, you know, and I it, it's so clear to me, you know. But I just love this these 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 worlds where we can all tell these kinds of stories now, you know. And so why are you telling? this story and why are you keeping this character out of the story or why are you including this character in this story Hmm. i think that i love that why adam you got me on that one 
I'm, I am, I am, I am like sucking on the dummy. I've got this pacifier in my mouth, and the pacifier is called Why. I got the Why pacifier in my mouth because I think I think that's probably what every single artist needs to look at before they do anything. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Why are you taking this job? Why are you telling this story? Why are you the person? Why are you the person to tell this story? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Can you speak on that one? Ooh, that was, got me going again. It's got me going. Okay, okay, come on now. Why? It's church up in here, y'all. Okay, why? Why? Why are you the only person that can be the advocate for this story? Why, <laughs> why, is, there, why is there not somebody else that, ha- that, that should have the opportunity to tell this? Why can only you do this thing? Right? It's the thing that we were, t- we were talking about last week with um, the actor. There's nothing else that you can do. Your body is screaming. This is, this is your life. You have to be an actor. And if it's not all screaming that thing, the theater has many other jobs for you. Why are you the only person that can advocate for this story? If it's not in your cultural context, your racial context, your gender context, mm. why are you the one that needs to tell the story? And why, mm. aren't, why aren't the other people who could tell the story better? Mm. If you can answer that, then go for it. Absolutely. Go for it. But that's, you know, th- those, are, those are questions I, I've asked with every project that I've tried to do and uh, why I have not done those things because there are far better people. I, there's so many things I've said over and over again. No, that's, you need to have somebody else do that. That, that play <laughs> needs to be done, but not with me doing it. You need to have another voice mm. doing that. There's going to be mm-hmm. something that's going to be gotten from there that I cannot bring. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if I found something that like, no, 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 I know this is a play written by, you know, an Indian woman in 1950, but I don't think that they, c- I don't think that it can be done in that context anymore. I think I'm the only one that has the answer to this thing. If I have mm. the balls and the ego to actually say that and go through with that, <laughs> then I have the right to possibly do that thing. And that's the thing also of saying like, and I know we're going out of context a little bit here, but like, I don't think the Russians do the check, do check off the best. And I don't think that the Brits do <laughs> Shakespeare the best. And I know for a fact that Americans don't do Arthur Miller the best. And so mm. it's that thing of saying, um, no, Americans can't do Arthur Miller anymore because if they, they're, they're too enamored by it. They don't play enough with it. Mm. You know, mm. uh, Chekhov is on a pedestal in Russia. They can't possibly get down in the mud and wrestle with him. Shakespeare is seen <laughs> as an academic process in, in Britain, but he's not seen as an academic process in Nigeria. He's just seen as good storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so that is, that's the why of going like, no, 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 I am the best person to tell this story because it cannot be told in its cultural context anymore. If you can answer that, then by all means, go for it. Mm. But I can't, I can't answer yes to that sometimes. So I turn work down. I turn it over to the people that need to do it because the stories still need to be told, just not by me. Yeah. So, you're, I, so going back into the realm of the playwright, are you saying that to someone who's being commissioned to write a story? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, you are the playwright. You are in charge of your universe. You are in charge of what you get to write. I mean, Yes, I, I guess a, a theater can say, oh, we'd love to have a play about X. But you still have the parameters of how you go about writing that thing. Hmm. Right? Bruce Norris did not write from the younger's point of view because he realized he could not write from the younger's point of view. 
He wrote mm-hmm. Clyburn Park from the other family's point of view because he knew that mm-hmm. what he, he he wanted to have a conversation with the youngers. He wanted to have a conversation with Lorraine Hansberry, but he knew that he could not write, you know, that family. Well, then that goes into dramaturgy as well. Yeah. That goes into dramaturgy. That means that he, if he were even to attempt it, he needed to have some black friends. He needed exactly. to get into a black household. He right. needed to talk to black people and hear what's going on and have, you know, because I think that's where, you know, our little beautiful little white playwright, cis male white playwright, Stephen Gultney. <laughs> it's he he's a he's a curious little fuck, huh? Yeah. He's so yeah. damn fucking curious. Yeah. And he can sit in the room and he'll hear everything. Oh God, he picks up. He'll on hear things. the rhythms. He picks it Jesus. all up and he register it. You know, yeah. so it's that curiosity as well. You need to have that curiosity. And if you're not curious, how can you? Uh, if you don't have that insatiable curiosity, how could you be a playwright? The yeah. great ones, they 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 listen to rhythms. They see rhythms. They you know they 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 watch how people are interacting. You know, they'll yeah. sit in the corner and just you know it's that classic. You know, yeah, you think of the you know the, the tortured Chekhovian like a, a writer that's in the corner and he sees everything <laughs> and everything's on the page and no one gets anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, it, there's there's something to that. Mm-hmm. There's something to that, and I think the other thing is that why you tell the story, you also have to ask yourself why do you need to tell a story in this medium as a playwright? Mm-hmm. Can you tell the story as an actor? Can you tell it as a director, as a painter, as a dancer? Why does it need to be a play? Why does it need to be written and performed? And and also why this medium? Why this specific medium? Right? Theater is. We've talked about this in the past. Theater is. Um, it tends to be skewed toward one race, to one socioeconomic class, to one background mm-hmm. and genre, mm-hmm. um, and. Maybe that medium isn't the best way to get that message out. There are other ways mm. that you can communicate that to other communities. Um, so, you know, is not only is it should I tell this story, but but also do I have the right to keep this story away from some people also? Mm. Mm. Okay, I think it's time for some provocations. <laughs> okay. I, I'm inspired. I think it's time for some provocations doesn't mean that I have one, but I'm inspired from this conversation. So I yeah. think I need to take the break and think of some provocations and we'll come back and then we'll give we'll give our listeners something to to chomp on. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, take it away, Purple Planet. Ta-a. back thank you purple planet thank you so much for your beautiful music we couldn't do it without you baby mm. okay so now we're doing some provocations adam yeah. do you have anything i do i do um, oh good i was in high school and i came across peter brooks mahabharata mm. the the video of that the old like the eight hour nine hour vhs mm-hmm. uh, video i know of it that. well and i <laughs> fell in love and 
I knew at the time that Jean-Claude Carrier, who was the playwright on that, was a white man from uh, Paris. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I knew that Peter Brook was a British man, white British man from England living in Paris. And I knew Mm -hmm. that the company was made up of an incredibly international mix of actors from all over the world. And I truly enjoyed that piece, the epicness of that piece. But I also knew that this was a holy book, a holy text. A, a a a a creation myth story uh expanding out to historical text in in, in India and so i also mm-hmm. knew reading the play cuz i had bought the play as well and watching this film that this is, this feels a little weird and icky but i didn't have the words for it cuz i'm a teenager and i don't know about you know colonialism and interculturalism and all those things yet i knew that there was something that wasn't quite right about that and mm-hmm. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this when we were talking about Clyburn Park. So my provocation to you is: I want you to, I want listener, I want you to take a text that is way outside of your cultural context, mm. whether that be religiously, uh, socioeconomically, racially, culturally, um, any of those things that are f- almost foreign to you, and I want you to try to write something in conversation with it. So just Ooh. as just as Bruce Norris loved Raisin in the Sun and decided to have a conversation with it, he wrote something that was almost a companion piece to it. So I don't want you to do what Jean-Claude Carrière and Peter Brook did, which is just take the Mahabharata and rewrite it. I want you to take the <laughs> Mahabharata and I want you to have a conversation with it. I want you to take Lady oh, White Snake. Yeah. And have a conversation with it. I want you to take um, mm. Ilagaligo and have a conversation with it. So write the companion piece that needs to go along with it. That's mm. my provocation to you. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Okay, so my provocation for you is I really have to go into the why because I was really moved by that that question word why why <laughs> why 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 <laughs> who what why when where why <laughs> so my question is um i really want to go back into that question that adam asked is why am i the one to tell this story If you have a play or some ideas around things that you want to write, ask yourself why. Give yourself a list of the reasons why you specifically need to write this story. And if your why is stronger than your, I shouldn't do this, (laughs) right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you should make two lists. You should have a row of why, <laughs> why should I do this? Why am I the one to write this story? And then why am I not? Mm-hmm. Why am I not? That's good. Yeah. Because you might find that in the why am I not to give you even more power to be the why you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it also makes me think of, you know, I think we, we spoke about this before with when uh, when Alicia was here 
Alicia Reuters. Oh, by the way, y'all need to send some questions in for Alicia. That's right. Alicia That's is right. definitely coming back. And if we don't have questions, she won't come back. That's right. That, was our, that back. was our agreement. She, she wants, wants to, to come, come back, back, y'all. She wants to answer these questions. She's made this agreement with us, and uh, we loved having her on. And my yes. God, you can you can mine her for so much information, and she's on the forefront of something that you need to get in the forefront of as well. So send us your questions, by God. Yeah. And, that, and, and what's the forefront? What's the forefront she's on? Intimacy direction. Something that, yes. you know, it's... So you have any questions? My goodness. Yeah, we need to we need to know more about this. This is this is new and she's the creator yeah. of it and it's yeah. not going away. It's going to be embedded. Yeah. It's going to be embedded in training programs and uh universities and yeah. uh, film and television and all of our favorite mediums of making and creating work. So get those questions in while you can still meet her and talk with her and she's accessible to you. Yeah, it's called Ask Alicia. That's right. And I and I may need, I may have to do a little like jingle. Ask Alicia, ding a ding a ding. Ask Alicia. Anyway, I'm gonna get back on to get back on the rails. I just had a shout out to my girl Alicia. You know I love you, boo. All right. So you have you have your your list of why and why not, right? So let that be kind of the way that you enter into even deciding the characters that you want to be in the story you're telling. Why am I the one to tell the tell the, the story of this person? Why am I not the one to tell the story of this person? And so the reason why I was thinking of that, when I the reason why Alicia came in was in that conversation that we had was I was thinking of Bell Hooks once again when we were talking mm. about her book We Real Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the in her and in the introduction, she says, "I have been waiting for years for my." african-american brothers to write this story but i realized that the pain is so deep that i need to step up and write it for them and then they can get up and respond to it jump on board go against it but it's somebody's got to talk about this no one's Mm -hmm. talking about this right and that goes back to what i was talking about before is what are you passionate about if you're passionate passionate about like this story needs to be heard Mm -hmm. you need to get behind it you need to put energy into it so that's my provocation. That's my provocation. It, it took a sidetrack because I love my girl. I love a girl. But, it's, you know, she always comes in at the right time. She always comes that's at right. the right time. That's right. Good provocation. <laughs> and, and you can send responses back to those provocations to us at speakpipe.com backslash theater of others. Again, speakpipe.com backslash theater of others. Theater of others, all one word. Uh, you can leave a 90-second voice message there for us. If you don't want to leave a voice message, you can send an email to podcast at theater of others. Dot com. Mm. Uh, we've we've got a Facebook page. We've got an Instagram page. We've got uh, ooh a, the gram on the gram. We've got a website that you can send all. There's so many ways to communicate with us. There's subscribe, no subscribe, for you subscribe, to subscribe, not. y'all. You and need to subscribe, 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 subscribe. Absolutely. Uh, we see you out there. We say this every single week. We know mm-hmm. there's that one person in Paris listening. We don't know who mm-hmm. you are. We would love to bonjour, hear from bonjour, you. Bonjour, bonjour. You've been listening from day one, and you continue to listen, but we don't know who you are. We would love to find out who you are. Person in Tokyo, we don't know who Reveal you are. Reveal yourself. But you've been listening from day one, and we want to know who you are. So there are people that we know out there that listen, but there are a lot of people that we don't know, and we want to be in conversation with you. So subscribe, 100%. write into us, call subscribe. into us. We're doing this for you. It's not an ego trip for us getting together and just having a conversation about you know nothing, <laughs> and nobody listens. You're listening. You're liking what we're talking about. Yay! So... Be a part of the conversation. 
Be a part of the conversation. Yes. And uh, as we said before, as we said before, uh, when you have access to Alicia, don't miss out on the chance to ask her a question. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. It, are, are we still taking submissions for plays? We are. Thank you very much. We are still mm. accepting submissions for our audio new drama play festival, which we're going to be doing in September and October of this year. We are accepting submissions for um, a, we're going to do a new audio drama every single week. Uh, in September and October, releasing here on the podcast. So uh, we would love submit, to hear, submit, submit. We would love to hear these stories. We would love for you to take these provocations of mm-hmm. of what we're asking you today and submit something to us. We are going to help you mm-hmm. produce your play. If you need help finding actors, a director, all those things, that's what we're here to do. We're here to, we're here to mentor you through that process to be as much a part of the process or as little a part of the process as you need us to be, so that we can get more storytelling out there. On this, hallelujah! Hallelujah! That was such a good podcast. I hope y'all, I hope y'all had as much fun as I did. That that was really fun, Adam. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so good to see you. It's amazing to see you every single time. (laughs) I love you so much. (laughs) I love you too. (laughs) We should get out of here. We should get out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give give your love to your lady for me. And wish another happy birthday to your man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. We'll be talking next week. Come back and listen. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Theater Brothers Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, theaterbrothers.org, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out, too. A special thank you to Purple Planet for the music you've heard. The Theatre of Others creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purposes of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and times. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary and they are witness to what happens. And you get to be witness to us making that happen. The purpose of this podcast is to open up our process and let you in. We're peeling back the curtain, so to speak, and encouraging you to follow along, to ponder, prod, and question. To join us and criticize us if need be. Being a witness is no passive task and requires much from you. Are you up for the journey? Be sure to tune in next week for our next journey.